Let's open our Bibles to the 10th Psalm. Come with uh, 18 verses. This Psalm could be titled, The Oppressed and the Oppressor. Those that are oppressed and the, the oppressor. And we're going to have uh, four things in this Psalm. The cry of the oppressed in verse 1. And then the oppressor is described in verses 2 through 11. And the prayer of the oppressed, verses 12 through 15. And then the praise of the oppressed, verses 16 and 17, 18. 16 through 18. So that's four divisions to this psalm that we'll have. As we look at it, I want us to look at the very first verse as far as the cry of the oppressed is concerned. Let's notice uh, it says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Remember, the Lord said he's a very present help in time of trouble, didn't he? And the psalmist felt like God was hiding himself. He says, Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? And you know that's our human feelings. God doesn't hide himself when our troubles come. But we're like David, you know, of course, and we cry out and we complain about uh, how slow God is to uh, avenge us of our adversaries and how slow God is to hear and answer our prayers and that he's hiding, as it were, his face from us and hiding in the time of trouble. And he says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? So this is the cry of the oppressed. Many times we feel that God is afar off. The Bible says he's near. He said he is near to all of us. And he stays near. And he's not going to be afar off. He's going to be close to us. If you'll remember as we studied the book of Exodus, the first chapter where the children of Israel were being oppressed, the Bible tells there that the more that they were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. And then God says, I have heard their cry, which they cried. For deliverance. So God always hears the prayer and the cry of the righteous. And sometimes we don't think he's uh, going to be there. And the answer is found in the nature of God. That's why he stands afar off sometimes. Because God is slow to wrath. Psalm 86. Let me read this for you. In Psalm 86 and verse 15, it says this. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Oh, God is full of compassion. He's gracious. And look, here's the key to it. This is why he seems to stand afar off sometimes. Because he's long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Peter puts it this way, that God is long-suffering to usward or toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, if you and I had our way in this day and hour, well, we would bring judgment on an ungodly world just almost instantly, wouldn't we? But aren't we thankful that we're not in that position because God is long-suffering. He suffers long with humanity. And sometimes through his long-sufferings, people have been brought to the, to the place that they repent of sin and turn to God. And that's what, he, that's what he wants them to do. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Proverbs 16, Proverbs 16 and verse 5. I want you to look at this one. It says this. It says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. So God, God is going to bring punishment sooner or later. You see that? Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. 
And though, no, notice the last part. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. And the psalmist said, Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Our text always holds your place where we're studying. In Psalms uh, 10, 10th Psalm. And the verse we gave you shows that God is in no hurry because he's going to eventually bring judgment when the time comes. So in the very first verse, we have the cry of the oppressed. Now, verses uh, 2 through 11, we have the oppressed, uh, or the oppressor, rather, described. And there are 11 marks. There are 11 marks of the wicked here that are described. 11 things that describe the wicked. I want you to look at verse 2. It says, The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. They have a wicked imagination, too, don't they? Have that Psalm 10, verse 2. It says, The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. So the first thing is pride. The Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction, the haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs 21, verse 4 says, And high look and a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. So we find that pride is at the center of it, that's the beginning of descri- describing the oppressor, the wicked. He's the one that oppresses the poor. The, the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. They fall into their own traps, don't they? Remember how we described that certain ones in the Bible, they prepared a snare or a trap or, for the others, and, and they fell in their own trap, didn't they? That happens in... in our lives, too. In this day and age of, of grace, we find people are that way. The wicked, they'll try to trap the poor. And first thing you know, God can turn that around, and they're the one that's in trouble. It's like, you know, we've used the description or the incident where old, uh, old Haman had prepared a gallows for Mordecai, and, and they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. And we find all through the Bible, things backfiring on people. Bible says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We find that sometimes when the wicked want to do uh, harm to God's people, it, it backfires on them. It comes back to them. And they're the ones that get the, the, the damn. It never pays to try to get even. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And the wicked here are described as full of pride. In his pride he doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. They have wicked imaginations too, don't they? The next thing about the uh, wicked or the uh, oppressor that we're describing. Now remember verses 2 through 11. We have 11 things that describe these that are wicked. And in verse 3 it says, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Two things here. You have boasteth and covetous. Boastful, first of all. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. I know it's not what a day may bring forth. Remember what the book of James says? What did it say about uh, boasting? In the book of James. Give it for you. The book of James, chapter 4. And verse uh, 13, the Bible says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now look, he says, uh, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanisheth away. 
For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we, sh- we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in what? Your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Have you ever heard people say, well, I'm going over there and I'm going to work for a year and I'm going to come back with lots of money. <laughs> you know, maybe in the old uh, days gone by, you could go to some foreign countries and make big wages, you know, and come back home. A lot of guys had those kind of plans. And some of them did make big big money. I'm not talking about whether they did or didn't. But this boasting that you can do that, you may do it if God permits you to do it. He says, rather you should say, if the Lord will. You know, if the Lord will, we can go. Uh, But you never know how how it's going to turn out. But now you rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So there's the sin of not doing what you know is right to do. Proud and boasting. There's two things. You might want to write these down. The next thing is covetous. In verse 3 it says, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The covetous God abhors. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, The love of money is the root of all evil. He didn't say money is the root of all evil. I've heard people say money is the root of all evil. No, it's not the root of all evil. Money's good if you use it right. Money is, is proper. It's the way we exchange and we, we trade and, and uh, we can take care of ourselves and we buy and we sell. But it says the love of money is the root of all evil. When you put that as a God and think that's all you have to have, a little that a righteous man has is far greater and far more blessed than the, than the riches of the wicked. And so you take what God gives you and thank Him for it and use it wisely. It doesn't mean that you do not have a responsibility. If you get some money, it's up to you to learn how to use it. Learn how to use your wages. You can blow it. You can spend it. Not have anything left. The Lord is tied and He'll bless you for that. And then you can put some back for yourself. And you'll have a little along. You know, save a little bit of it. And you children, you boys and girls, you ought to learn when you get money. You ought to learn to save some of them instead of spend all of it. I'm just telling you when you're young, because if you don't start doing it now, when you get older, you'll be just like a lot of people I know that they have a lot of money. They make ten times as much as Brother Randy and I, some of them. Some of these young, what do they call them? Hypees? Or whatever. There's another. Yeah. And all the kinds of, you know, smart little initials that go before those guys that make a lot of money. Anyway, they, they make a lot. But they spend every bit of it. See, it's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have that makes a difference. I remember Miss Fall's mother, Mrs. Hensley, used to tell me about certain people. She says, they just don't know how to manage. She knew how to manage, Miss Hensley. She's a sweet old soul. By the way, she, I preached her funeral, but I didn't really preach it. She preached her funeral. We had a, re- a, a tape. We played it here, too. She told everybody... She said, now, I want you to hear this. When I'm gone, I'm going to tell you all about it. And she did. But, I, you know, I, I guess I would say I took care of part of it. But she, we played that tape. She wanted people to hear what she felt. She says, I'll be with the Lord. I'll be gone. She was. She says, you're the left here. You need to, that's your problem now. You need to know the Lord. You need to be saved. And all the kinds of wonderful things she said. And I'm thankful that I had a part in uh, uh, honoring her at that particular time. But what I'm saying is she, used to, she left a good impression there with me because she said, 
you have to learn how to manage what you have. And she could point out several people that wouldn't learn how to manage what they have. You know, if you'll take care of what you've got, the Lord will bless you. Some people say, I'm going here and there and I'll buy and sell and get gain. James says, this guy says, he's boasting. I'll just come back real well off. One fellow, not the immediate family, but he was going to be a millionaire by the time he's 40 years old. Well, he's a little older than I am now, and he's still not a millionaire, far worse. But the thing about it is, when you set money and that is an idol or a goal, you're looking for trouble. You better be thankful day by day for God supplying your needs, and you learn how to use and be good stewards of the manifold grace of God as well as good stewards of the of the of the finances that He gives you. And if you will, uh, then your your life will be happier. Don't ever look. You know, there's always someone looking for their ship to come in. You know, when my ship comes in, I'm going to do so and so. Well, I've said before, and you've heard me say it two or three times at least, your ship may already be in, and you just don't know it. It may have already arrived at the port, and you may already be docked and unloading that ship, and that may be what you'll have in life, so you better learn to be content. Paul says, I've learned, he says, having food and raiment, I've learned therewith to be content. Some people are never contented. All right, let's go on with this. I don't know if that's in the sermon or not. The next thing on the outline was covetous. It says, The covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. God abhors a man that's just covetous. Proverbs 28, verse 20. Let me read this one for you. Proverbs 28, will, and verse 20. I want you to listen to this. It says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And the word innocent there in the marginal reference says, Unpunished. He shall not be unpunished. And always hold your place where we're teaching in the psalm. Look at verse 4. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. You know, the ungodly are spoken of here. God is not in all his thoughts. We'll deal with that in a moment. But I want you to notice the first statement. The wicked through the pride of his countenance. Did you know a person's life can be seen somewhat by his countenance? have certain ones that wanted their courts held in, at night when the, when the uh, person that was being tried, could not, they couldn't see his face. That's not too wise, is it? Because a lot of times the judge can look out there and he can tell just what kind of a guy he's dealing with by looking at his face. Those judges learned that pretty well, too. In fact, a lot of guys have done themselves in by, by mocking or laughing in front of the judge come in front of the judge, you better be there because you know that you've done something wrong and with a, with a subdued spirit and a, and a repentant heart and sorry that you've gotten uh, uh, into this mess that you're in and pleading for the mercy of that judge to look to you and give you another opportunity to straighten things out. But if you go in there, well, you know, it doesn't make any difference uh, what I did. I can do as I please. Well, that judge is going to nail you, too. That's what he's going to do. Because he learns to look at your countenance. And it says here, the wicked through the pride of his countenance. Have you ever seen people that way? 
will not seek after God. Boy, they used to speak the name of God before them and say, you need the Lord or, you know, God helps me through my problems and trials. Try to witness just a little bit to them. Boy, that's the wrong thing to say. Don't mention God to me. It's what they, you know, the pride of his countenance. It says, and God will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. We're talking about the ungodly. Job 21. Let me read this for you. Job 21 and verse 14 says this, Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Depart from us. We desire not the knowledge of thy ways. How many times have you seen people that did not want to know the ways of God at all? Just forget that. That's another subject. I don't want you to mention it to me anyway. When people are that rebellious against the things of God, they're looking for trouble because eventually they're going to have to face up to it that they're rejecting God. The next thing in verse 5, if you'll notice, His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of His sight. As far as all His enemies, He puffeth at them. He's self-confident. Self-confident. I want to read in Isaiah 13 and verse 11. Isaiah 13 and verse 11 says, And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the hauntedness of the terrible. When they face up to God, it's going to be a different story, isn't it? Self-confident in verse 5. Look at verse 6. You have false humility. There's nothing much worse than false humility. Just, you know, acting humble and then uh, laying weight to... Uh, pounce upon the poor. Look in verse 6. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. False security. False security. I'll never be moved. It's kind of like the rich man in his barns, wasn't it? Remember what the rich man said? He said, I have a, a great crop in the field. He says, I have much goods. I have uh, these little barns here. I have no place to bestow my my goods. I, I, he says, I will tear down my uh, barns, and I will build greater barns, and there will I bestow all my, I and my, all the way through it. never mentions God. He never says, God blessed me with a lot of uh, a big crop out here, and I, I'm thankful for it, and I'd like to take it and, and keep some of it for myself and have some to plant the new seed and have some to share with other people. No, that wasn't in his thoughts. He says, I, and then I will say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Oh, take thine ease. Be merry. Oh, fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Come a cutoff time. Come a time which, which, when all that you've gained will mean absolutely nothing. I remember... Uh, I was in the care center early today and all day, practically. But anyway, Mrs. Close is up there. And yesterday uh, yesterday evening, pretty late, I was up there to see about my mother-in-law. And I went in the room, and they got uh, Joyce uh, Williamson that sits here. You know, O.B. and Joyce, well, it's her stepmother. But anyway, Mrs. Close, some of you know her. And she is in there, and I asked her, uh, she was going to have her Christmas there. And she says, you know, when you're in the shape of, that I'm in, Christmas doesn't mean anything. The gifts, you know, the tree and all that stuff, gifts. And walking her hip and she's laying there and has to be carried to the bathroom and carried to the 
their food and everything. You know, it's a different story. Money is meaningless when you're in that condition. That doesn't mean everything. It doesn't mean that it's not a necessity to pay bills. But I'm talking about getting more and having more. That in presents and gifts. Well, maybe the thought will please her. Louis sent her a card, and we, Joyce read it to her, and she was real happy to get the card and the words and the blessing there. But on the other hand, what we're talking about is it's a different story when you when you see that uh, a fellow has false security. Look at verse six. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. You don't know if you'll never be in adversity. Look at the next verse. In verse 7, he's deceitful. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Look, three things. Cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He's deceitful. We've said he's proud, he's boastful, he's covetous, he's ungodly, he's self-confident. He has uh, false security. And then here in verse 7, he's deceitful. He is deceitful. And it says, his mouth is full of cursing. Have you heard people talk and they can't keep uh, their words clean at all? It always has to be something vulgar coming out of their mouths. Because under his tongue is mischief and vanity. There, there are more words just like the ones that just came out. Just waiting to sprout. Just waiting to come out. Under his tongue is what? Mischief and vanity. He speaks some out. It's full of, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. He's already spoken it out. And then under his tongue, there's more coming. is mischief and vanity. They just can't keep from doing that. I used to work with a, with a man. He's pretty good in many ways, but his mouth was so, he's so vulgar, he cursed about everything. When I was a young man, saddled up horses and take them up to the top of Sierra Blanca about two or three times a week. Go straight up the canyon then. You didn't go that way. You went straight up the South Fork and you cross the river about, I think there are about 15 crossings and finally end up uh, up there on right below the timberline on this side and we'd stop the horses right before you get to the top and then walk the rest of the way about a quarter of a mile on up because it's too rough to ride horses on up there. I've been up there horseback. But it takes a lot of care. But anyway, what I started to say is uh, this this guy that had this bunch of horses, he would just curse every other word. I mean, it just came out of his mouth just like you and I would say, hello, and how are you? And his was vulgar. And when you get around people like that, uh, you need to get away from them as quick as you can. So he is what? Deceitful. And then the next verse. He that sitteth in he sitteth in lurking places, this is verse eight, of the villages, in the secret places doth he murder the innocent, his eyes are privily set against the poor. He takes advantage of the helpless. Takes advantage of the helpless. There's some people like that. In Psalm thirty seven, I want you to look at verse uh, twelve through fourteen. If the wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. Just because the wicked laugh against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth doesn't mean he's going to get by with it. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and the needy and to slay such as be of an upright conversation. That means the walk of life. 
you ever think that there's not division in this world? Sadly, sadly mistaken. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but division. Some people say, well, he came to bring peace. He says, my peace I leave with you and my peace I give unto you. But that's to those that want to believe him. But he said he's going to be division. There's division wherever Jesus is. Because you have those that love him, those that want to serve him, those that want to walk in the ways of God, and you have those that absolutely reject him and say, I don't want him in my life and I don't want him to have anything to do with me. On the CNN news, there was a young lady, you may have seen it, just really up in the air because they had a Bible lesson in the school somewhere, I believe back in Missouri or somewhere, and they had a Bible lesson in the school and they had prayer in there. Said she didn't want her kids to be exposed to that because, and by the way, they finally asked her if she's a member of any church, and she said, yeah, she's a Lutheran. I thought, well, what does a Lutheran object to having prayer or Bible study? You'd think she'd be for it instead of against it, wouldn't you? See, some people said it embarrassed my children, made them feel out of place. Well, of course, there's pros and cons about the whole situation. I don't know all the circumstances, and I can't prejudge the situation. But I can say this. I don't see why any Christian would be embarrassed by having a Bible study, you know, or having a, you know, a, a prayer. Regardless of whether you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, or Jew, whatever. You should be able to have prayer if you if you want to. It's your freedom and your right to pray when you want to pray. And so he takes advantage of the helpless. The next thing this guy does, look, I want you to see in verse um, 10, I mean verse 9, it says, He lieth and waits secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth and wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He's cruel. So there are some people that are really just actually cruel. They don't care who they hurt as long as they can get what they want. They don't care how poor people are if they can get what they want. They will drain them dry. And that's cruelty, isn't it? That is cruelty. And so he lieth and waits secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He says, your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This reminds us of our adversary that lies in wait for the poor, or the poor in spirit, actually. Here, these are the poor physically or materially. But, you know, uh, there's an adversary that is adversary of the souls as well as the material situation. Verse 10, we find false humility. He croucheth and humbleth himself, that the poor may fall by his strong ones. That's false humility. He doesn't really humble himself. He croucheth and he waits. You've seen the old lion is laying down and just waiting. He's not doing that because he's praying. He's doing that because he's ready to pray upon you. Two different words. P-R-A-Y and P-R-E-Y, right? So he's, he's doing that to catch the poor. So he croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. Verse 11 shows that he's presumptuous. It says, He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. That's presumption, isn't it? To say God has forgotten. God doesn't forget. God knows. God can remember. God can keep books. Arise, he says, he has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face, he will never see it. The Bible says, 
The eyes of the Lord upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. And it says, There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. So he may think, he may presume that God doesn't see. He may think that God has forgotten. He may think that he hides his face. And he may think he will never see it, but that doesn't mean it's so. Psalm 94, verse 7, Yet they say the Lord shall not see. Psalm 94, verse 7 is another good reference. Peter tells us they're self-willed, they're presumptuous. Now then, that's described. Let me give you again the things that we find that the oppressor, how, uh, verse 1 we said the cry of the oppressed. Verses 2 through 11 we said the oppressor is described. And how is he described? Now I'll just sum it up. He's proud, he's boastful, he's covetous, he's ungodly, he's self-confident, he's fa- he has false security, he's deceitful, he takes advantage of the helpless, he's cruel, he has false humility, and he's presumptuous. And then verse 11, I mean verse 12, we find verses 12 through 15, the prayer of the oppressed. In view of all that we said about the oppressor and how he's described, we come back and add verse 12 to verse 1. See, verse 1 says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? And then verses 2 through 11 we describe the wicked or the oppressor, and then we find in verse 12, the psalmist says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. In other words, he's beginning to pray again. Therefore doth the wicked contemn God. He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. So the psalmist is saying, Arise, O Lord. Sometimes we think the Lord is indifferent to the oppression of the poor and the needy. But he often waits for the oppressed to call upon him that he might save them and be strong in their behalf. And the Bible tells us, avenge not yourselves, but rather commit it to God. He says, God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So instead of us going out and trying to get even with the wicked or the oppressor, we leave that up to God. And that's what the psalmist says, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. God will not forget the humble. The Bible tells us that uh, Jeremiah says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, we've already referred to it once. It says, He had seen their affliction, he heard their cry. God says, I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them. When you cry out to God, God hears your cry. He knows your heart. He knows your sorrows. And He will come down. He may not come down personally, but He'll send down His uh, angels. He'll send down His uh, providence. He'll send down His spiritual guidance. He'll send down deliverers. And you'll, you'll probably never know how it worked out, that it worked out the way it did for you. Probably never understand all the workings of God that brought it about. But it was brought about in his providential dealings. Remember old uh, Jacob of old? He said, he said uh, Joseph is not, listen, Simeon is not, and you will take Benjamin away also, Benjamin the son of his right hand. He said, all these things are against me. And really, what was the fact? The fact of the matter is, Joseph was already down there preserving life, and he was sending for him and all the family to preserve them through all the time of the family. 
But uh, Jacob says, all these things are against me. And finally, when Joseph sent the wagons and, and the, uh, the, uh, the horses and everything and the oxen and all this to get him and the family and bring them back and all that they had so that he could provide for them, then his heart revived and he says, my, you know, he thought God had forgotten all about him, didn't he? Do you ever get to the place you think God has forgotten you? He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten. Whatever situation you're in, God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. You keep on trusting God and He has a way of working it out. And you may be, be surprised to find out the ways that He will use. You may be surprised that you might have figured it would work out one way and He get, He chose another way to do it for you. We, we sometimes depend upon ourselves and our own wisdom too much doesn't mean we're not accountable doesn't mean we shouldn't use our head but it means that we should trust God in the midst of all of it okay let's go on with this the next thing you find uh, he says uh, in verse 13 wherefore doth a wicked contemn God he has said in his heart thou wilt not require it. now God's honor is at stake God will require it. should the wicked scorn God or condemn God and God's honor is at stake he will stand by you Verse 14, Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and, uh, and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Thou hast seen it. The psalmist says, Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite. Very obvious to the Lord when things are going this way, isn't it? The oppression that the psalmist was going through, the poor goes through, is very obvious to the Lord. Obvious. To the Lord, and there's no doubt about it. He knows all about it. Sometimes we have to restate our case, and we say, "God, do you see what's going on?" Well, you know, he did. we may remind him, but he already knows it. Listen carefully. Say, Lord, do you know what's going on in my life? Do you see my problem? Well, yes, God has seen it. It says, "Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite." You see, we don't have to remind God that there's mischief and spite being brought against us. Because God already knows that. To requite it with thy hand, the poor committeth himself unto thee, thou art the helper of the fatherless. That's exactly what we should do. And realize that he does know and he has seen it. The poor needs to be depending upon the Lord. You and I need to be depending upon the Lord. And the Lord has promised to be a helper to the fatherless. Back in the book of Exodus 22, verse 22 through 24, he says he's going to take care of the fatherless and the widows and the orphans. And anyone that starts doing them wrong is, is going to have to pay for it. Verse 15, Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. The Lord has said that he would punish the wicked. Remember we read a verse in uh, Isaiah chapter... Uh, or three places, but uh, there's one in Proverbs, but Isaiah 11, I mean 13 verse 11, I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the hauntedness of the terrible. God is going to punish the wicked. And another verse in uh, Proverbs 11, let me give you this one. In Proverbs 11, at this one, in verse uh, 21, it says this. It says, uh, Though hand joined in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. That verse, Proverbs 11:21. Though hand joined in hand, 
the wicked shall not be unpunished, but he says, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Thank God has forgotten all about the oppression that you may go through. The last thing is the praise that's offered. Verse 16 through 18 in our psalm. The praise of the oppressed. I want you to see this. It says, the Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his hand. They acknowledged him as their eternal king. Eternal one. He's the king forever and ever. Um, let's see. Psalm 90. Carefully this. Verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So they acknowledged him as the eternal king. And then another thing, they praise him because they know someday all the wicked shall perish. Notice this. It says, the Lord is king forever. The heathen are perished out of his land. They know that all the wicked will, be, will perish. In Psalm 9, verse 17, look, it says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So the wicked shall perish. And then they praise him for past mercies. Look at this. The Lord has heard the desire of the humble. Hast heard. We're stopping and take time enough to recognize that it's grace that has brought you safe thus far, and grace will lead you on and home. Past mercies. You praise God for past mercies. Lord, thou hast, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. This is what God has done. He's done in the past. He's sure to do for us in the future. They praise Him for future blessings. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. See, that's in the future. Thou hast and thou wilt. Human feelings are, are so so much up and down on the scale, aren't they? We say, now listen carefully. I want to try to help you. Well, you know, God did help me through that. But you know, I'm just so afraid that He will not help me with this. Now, what makes you think if He helped you there, He won't help you here? Was your helper in the past? What's changed? Has God's character changed? Has God's faithfulness changed? Has God's mercy run out? A lot of people get so scared and they say, well, you know, I know He brought me through that, but here's a big problem. Will He bring me through this? Yes, He brings me through this. God is faithful. He's not going to leave you stranded. I used to sing a song and I loved it. Stand by me. How many of you remember? A lot of you do. One of those old time Baptist hymns. It said, in the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. Because in the midst of tribulation, stand by me. Remember? That stanza. Tossing me like a ship upon the sea. Thou that rulest wind and waters, stand by me. Stand by me. And when the world is turned against you, he'll still stand by you. Paul said at one time, he said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but the Lord stood with me and delivered me out of from the hand of the mouth of the lion. He delivered me, and He will deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom. And we just have to keep trusting the Lord, friend. That's what I'm trying to say. And so, uh, thou hast and thou wilt. Look at verse 17. We'll close just with this next statement, next verse. Lord, verse 17 now, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. God's ear is not closed. And then it says in verse 18, 
to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that no man of the earth may no more oppress. There's going to come a time that he's going to make things right. And the future is what we're looking for. They praise him for future blessings. Thou wilt. Second Peter 3, verse 13. Let me read it for you. Second Peter 3, verse 13 says, 